everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here with Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, 2022 WNBA champions have been crowned. They are the Las Vegas Aces. A 78-71 victory in four games over the Connecticut Sun. First impression. Well, first impression would be that the better team won this series, I think. You know, it was impressive that Connecticut put up the fight that they did and, and for them to even make it this far. But to have game one be be competitive, kind of the, the middle two games were less competitive, I, I would say. Although yeah. probably even more competitive than the final score indicated like Connecticut hung pretty tough for most of that game two. Vegas made it very interesting at parts during the the middle part of game three. Um, and it was, you know, anyone's game, I think, towards the, the end of this game. And as it had been pointed out many times before, it was sort of a styles make fights type of series. And I think what would be considered the more modern style of uh, spacing and shooting won out. They won the math game, I think. Yeah, that's a fair uh, a fair analysis. What jumps out to you from the box score right away? Because you have you got this, not once again a, a lower scoring game, right? It was in particular mostly from the first half, right? Because neither team could really make a shot in the first half, but things really got going in the second half. And you mentioned a really contrasting styles of basketball. We had some interesting lineups thrown out by both teams in the fourth quarter. There, some really dramatic moments down the stretch that swung the game in both directions. Where do you want to start with this? Yeah, I mean, we can start, I guess, with the end of the game and kind of work our way back. Vegas going a little smaller, playing that lineup that it had been much discussed. Couldn't hang with the the size and the rebounding of the Connecticut Sun with Jackie Young at the four, uh, with Raquana Williams and, and Asia Wilson as the lone big out there. A lineup that was really a bit of a series changer, I would say, in the previous series against Seattle as Seattle really shrunk the floor against Vegas's, you know, normal kind of too big configuration. Vegas didn't really have another option. Ileana Rupert, not quite a playoff player, I think, at this point in her extremely young career. So Vegas going small and Connecticut sort of matching that, or maybe Vegas matched Connecticut when they decided to go to the the big lineup with their three bigs and Alyssa Thomas, John Quill Jones, and Brianna Jones. And, you know, overall, the the Sun three big lineup was a plus two in, in the minutes that they were able to play together, which I think you kind of take that given all the limitations that that lineup has in terms of kind of playing modern basketball. But that small lineup for Vegas was a plus eight. I thought that was really kind of the difference, particularly late in the game when Connecticut had their big lineup in and John Quell Jones was left to guard Raquana Williams because it just, you know, when you have those players on the, the core, I, I think it probably would have been Jackie Young that I had John Quo guarding if it was me rather than Raquana Williams. I think that just makes your choices a little bit easier. But Vegas went to a couple pick and pops in a row using a small, small pick and roll and Raquana as the screener and Raquana was able to make them pay. An absolutely huge fourth quarter for Raquana Williams. 11 points in the fourth, played the entire fourth quarter. And I mean, Raquana Williams, you know, one of two players in league history to score 50 points in a game is this team's fourth guard. We obviously know what Raquana Williams can do, and she had a great, great game when it mattered most. It was interesting for me to see uh, Vegas counter the Sun big lineup with the Aces with their own small lineup. You know, it's usually you go big to counter big or small to counter small, but I think this, this kind of speaks to how both rosters are constructed as well. You always say about the Sun, 
they have a hard time keeping their three best players on the floor all at once. Well, the Aces, you, you made a tweet. You sent a tweet uh, during the game. What was it? It was uh, something about... There were a lot not, of them. You said, yes, you did send a lot of tweets. You said something to the effect of, you don't see why people think that the Suns' three-big lineup is like this monolith that cannot be countered with a small lineup. Um, well, it was more just so, I think, that the prevailing thought before and during this series that Vegas couldn't go small against this team at all just because they're so dominant. You know, they have John Quill Jones. They have Brianna Jones. Alyssa Thomas is an undersized four, but a very physical one. Um, so maybe that is a little bit of a concern. Dewana Bonner is a very tall and long player for her position as well. You know, has played the four for long stretches of her career as well. So the, I think, uh, you know, we just saw a lot of very smart people say that, you know, going small for Vegas just is not a viable option here. And, you know, I always kind of thought it was a viable option or at least at least worth trying because you have Chelsea Gray, you have Jackie Young, you have these two wing-sized players that are strong enough to hold up against fours for the most part. I mean, Jackie Young did an admirable job against Brianna Stewart in the last round. Chelsea Gray, pretty much anytime she's matched up against a big, you know, she's not just going to get put in the goal and she has great hands to kind of swipe down and uh, so that several times today. Yeah, as as she she's wanting to do. So um, I, I always just kind of thought it was a little bit more viable than others seemed to. And it turned out to be extremely viable, at least in maybe if it was something that they went to for, you know, 15 minutes a game over the course of four games, it would be something Connecticut figured out. But I always just think it's a little bit easier to kind of overcome rebounding and, and kind of team rebound and keep a great player or two off the offensive glass and kind of make up for that with with more players that can shoot, more players that can pass, more players that can dribble, and and I think we saw that today. We did. Uh, the Sun only out rebounded the Aces by two, thirty four to thirty two. And granted, they got five more offensive rebounds, but you're right. I mean, for a team that is so heavily dependent on really dominating that that stat, a plus two in rebounding is is probably not going to get it done on most nights. And like you said, uh, you pointed out that specific play at the end there, the the Plum Williams pick and roll. I don't know if it was it was was it a pick and roll? It looked like kind of like a ghost screen to me. But either way, um, you got that big lineup defending out in space where it wasn't comfortable. I don't know if it was a miscommunication or what. But even if it wasn't, um, you know that you're, you're still putting those players in a position where they are not comfortable defending. Yeah, and so I I totally I, agree. I was just, I was just gonna say yeah. I, I also tweeted that it, it kind of reminded me of 2019 where you'd have you'd involve. Jonquel Jones on the high ball action and get her defending in space and she'll kind of want to either hedge or, or just put two on the ball and and you just can't do that when a team has real floor spacing and real shooting at, at all five positions and you know that that's kind of what the difference in this game was was those last two minutes basically all right so another uh struggle for the Sun backcourt um which was kind of the theme for three out of four games of this series just not enough shot making to keep up with Las Vegas. I think, as you saw in Game Three, you know the Sun will of course have games where they just run opponents out of the building, where they, they have hot shooting games. Not really sustainable, of course, over the course of a series. But it really came back down to earth in this game. They just had trouble manufacturing efficient offense, particularly from their backcourt. And I don't know where do you want to start with this. Natisha Heidman shot just one for eight from the field. Courtney Williams shot seven for eighteen, so seventeen points on eighteen shots. Dwana Bonner, 12 points on 11 shots. Like It's just not, when you're going up against a team with this much firepower, you need to be able to match them, I feel like, in the backcourt. And the Sun were just not able to do that. Yeah, I think that was kind of the difference in roster construction, really, is that 
Vegas has guards that can make plays, that can score efficiently, that can create for others, and Connecticut doesn't. Kelsey Plum, 15 points on 13 shooting possessions. Chelsea Gray, 20 points on 13 shooting possessions. And you mentioned that neither one of Connecticut's guards were really able to be efficient. And then off the bench, Raquana Williams obviously had a huge game, as we talked about. That's another one, yeah. And, you know, Dijanae Carrington and Odyssey Sims, I I thought, were not really viable options in in the series, um, frankly. So even if Connecticut could win the sort of bigs positional battle, which, you know, maybe you could say that they did. Asia Wilson did not have an amazing game. John Quill Jones kind of got herself going a little bit towards the end of that first half with some big defensive plays guarding Asia, effectively maybe for what seemed like the first time all series in individual defense. But, you know, the guards just weren't, there was a huge gap in, and I think, quality of play from the backcourt in this one. Particularly from who I thought was the best player on the floor, Chelsea Gray, and whoever Connecticut had on her. Um, you know, the Sun had some success in Game 3 putting Dewana Bonner on Chelsea Gray. But here's the thing about Chelsea Gray, and, and most other point guards, I think, great point guards in general, you have to mix up the coverages on defense. You can't just say, okay, well, we're making an adjustment, we're putting a, a bigger defender on her, and then keep doing that for the rest of the series. Because the great point guards are going to figure out, they're going to adjust. They're going to figure out how to beat that matchup. And with a, a player who already has so many physical advantages like Chelsea Gray, you saw several times, you know, Bonner did not get a hand up in time or was not able to locate Gray. It seemed like she had no trouble getting to her spots at all in this game. Yeah, we should just, I mean, Chelsea Gray, finals MVP, 18 points, six assists, three rebounds for the series, 45% from three, 66% from two, 67% overall true shooting in this series. She so shut, went down. <laughs> yeah, down from... in the the final two rounds overall, but she shot 73% on non-paint twos on nearly 30% of her field goal attempts in the series. And what was just maybe the the best playoff run that we've seen in in terms of her shot making. And, you know, she she did definitely adjust from game four to game three. You know, she played a lot better out of the traps. She was able to get to her spots better. You know, this is not meant to take anything away from Chelsea Gray necessarily because obviously she was awesome but I do think Dewana Bonner just didn't have the gas to play with the defensive intensity that she played with throughout game three where she was I mean basically playing her the full court you know almost the entirety of the game she was really up in Chelsea Gray basically anytime she touched the ball and there was just a little bit more space for Chelsea Gray you know she did when Bonner was playing more intense defense, still was able to kind of get to her spots and and just, you know, felt more comfortable in that matchup. But I do think Bonner just didn't really have the gas to do the things that she was doing defensively for this the entirety of this game in, in the way that she did in Game 3. I think this is another example of the Aces perimeter players just not really having any weaknesses in terms of, well, you have to... Somebody has to guard Chelsea Gray. And she's going to be getting an advantage in whichever matchup she has. You just got to kind of pick your poison, if you will. Obviously, both Heidemann and Courtney Williams were disastrous guarding Gray earlier in the series. So they were kind of forced to have Duana Bonner on and, her. And I would say just playing good defense, you know, Gray was just, they're just not able. They're with, just not big enough. Yeah, exactly. Like we were talking about last week, just not able with their size to kind of give meaningful contests. But it's not like they were train wrecks defensively they, they I mean, just the couldn't do were, it yeah. yeah but yeah i mean chelsea gray it looked like every it felt like me just watching the game as a impartial viewer it felt like every shot she put up was going in you know whether they be the 25 foot bombs from beyond the arc 
uh, it really felt like you had to pick her up from from full court or else she was going to drain a long one. And these in the spot, you know, she gets to that that mid range, that elbow area, and she just elevates over whoever. You know, I mean, her being what five eleven, five ten, five eleven, with that high release point and that kind of awkward looking fadeaway form. I mean, nobody's really going to contest that. Even someone with Dewana Bonner's length, and like you said, if the defender isn't all the way up on Chelsea Gray when she gets that shot off, there's you're really not contesting that from a, from the guard position. So. Yeah, just an astounding display of, of shot making and clutch shot making and just dagger after dagger, tremendous shot making, well-deserved finals MVP for Chelsea Gray. What did you think of, I guess, John Quell, Alyssa Thomas? We've got to talk rem- about Alyssa Thomas, Yeah, right? we would be remiss Another if we did triple not double. Talk. Her second straight finals triple-double. I thought AT was really good tonight. You know, the whistle probably played to Connecticut's favor a little bit just in terms of allowing a lot of physicality. I don't think... She fouled once, yeah. That, they, <laughs> they got away with anything egregious, but there were definitely what would be ticky-tack fouls that, you know, maybe were called in Game 1 that were not called in, in Game 4. But, I mean, she was, I think pretty comfortably Connecticut's best player in this series. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. I mean, anytime you record two triple doubles in one series in the WNBA, which has never happened before, I mean, I would say so. She was able to go the full 40 minutes, which probably surprises nobody, uh, given the Suns' reliance on her in previous playoff runs. Um, I mean, it's incredible. 11 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, four stocks, so two steals and two blocks. Um she had these moments. I feel like maybe she wasn't as, gosh, it's, it's weird for me to say this, and, and this is not a diss, or it's not meant as a diss, but it almost feels like it was a more of a quiet triple-double. You know, she didn't. This didn't seem like 2019 where she was just putting the team on her back for long stretches. Maybe that's because the Sun only scored 71 points. Yeah, but. I thought in the first quarter she she was the one that kind of got them into the rhythm of the yes. game a little bit because they were really, really struggling in the half court to generate any kind of good look, and I did just feel like Alyssa Thomas was kind of just just go to work, make something happen. And, you know, she had that one nice kind of fake and, and step through on Asia Wilson that was pretty early in the game. And, I, you know, she, she was just, she was really good, I thought. Five fast break points for Connecticut? That seems low. That yeah, well, I, yeah, I did think that Connecticut, I, I saw that number and I thought it was a little surprising to only see five because I thought they played in the open court pretty frequently, at least in the first half. It did seem to slow down a little bit in the second half, but I thought... They kind of really got out and ran in, in the first half. You know, maybe it was some some semi-transition looks, but obviously Alyssa Thomas was a huge part of that. And, you know, she did have the four turnovers. You know, I, I think one thing to say about Alyssa Thomas and her 11 assists and her just overall offensive creation burden is, it. yeah, she, she put up the, the back-to-back triple-doubles, but I do feel like she, this is not necessarily the best... most ideal use for Alyssa Thomas offensively to kind of put so much of the creation burden on her. You know, she is a very effective player, just kind of doing normal power forward things and passing can be included that, you know, dumping it off in the short roll and kind of make decisions, you know, one pass away within the, the flow of kind of normal power forward things. But to have so much kind of creation burden at the top of the key, I think kind of just speaks more to, what this team is missing more than kind of, you know, how great or how transcendent she is at doing that. Yeah, it's, it's, I definitely agree with that. It kind of, um, it's kind of an awkward offensive hierarchy, you know, it, because Alyssa Thomas is, look at the assist distribution. Nobody else had more than three assists, and that was Heidemann. Uh, granted, <laughs> Thomas playing the full 40 minutes maybe inflates that stat, uh, the assists stat a little bit. But when you're talking about Alyssa Thomas being their primary playmaker, 
that's also in the half court. And the problem with Alyssa Thomas in the half court is teams are going to sag off of her tremendously. They're, they're going to play her for the pass. They're going to just sit in the paint and make her make those awkward one-hand push shots from, from way, way out. So, like I said, it's, it's an awkward offensive hierarchy. And I don't think Alyssa Thomas... Uh, how do I put this? How do I put this diplomatically? I'm not sure if John, if they're getting the best out of John Cole Jones while also getting the best out of Alyssa Thomas. Granted, you can point, and I'm sure you will point, to the inefficient uh, guard play from the other three positions. But when you look at what Alyssa Thomas does really well in the half court and what John Cole Jones does really well in the half court, it doesn't seem like that pair is very often completely optimized. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say is that John Quell Jones, and I, I've probably said this before on the show, but John Quell Jones, I think, is kind of the best center you could play with Alyssa Thomas because of her floor spacing and because she has the size to play either position. Uh, you know, she can. she's a very good defensive center, even if she can give you minutes at power forward. But that doesn't mean it's optimizing John Quell Jones. You know, just because you're allowing Alyssa Thomas to nominally be your playmaking center because she's not spacing the floor and, and John Quill Jones is maybe spending a little bit more time outside, but I would be remiss to kind of make any referendums on, on this pairing when I, I think this team is just really lacking what could make this combination special, which is, you know, an actual dynamic offensive creator at one of the two guard spots, which these two players have basically never played. With They've them. never had. They've never had. In fact, they have pretty much only played with guards who, you know, don't shoot threes, don't shoot threes well. Who's the best shooter they've they've played with? Shakina Strickland, and she had her own uh, own weaknesses to her game, to be certain. So I mean, I think you know Jasmine Thomas is a good offensive player in in some regards, but she's not exactly you know scoring from all three levels efficiently. I think right. You know, we we talked before about how JJ's pick and roll numbers have really kind of taken a big hit without Jasmine Thomas, and I think that does speak to kind of how she can you know, run your offense. But, and I think one of her best offensive skills is like as a spot up shooter, more so than a dribble shooter. We've Oh yeah. Yeah. No, she can make the outside shot if she's just spotting up, you know, catch and shoot. Um, but in, in terms of dynamic playmaking, you're not really going to see much of that. Although I did really miss Jasmine Thomas's defense in this series. Cause if there's any player in the WNBA who could throw some ice water on Chelsea Gray's heater, it would have been Jasmine Thomas. Right. So it, it's really a shame that we got robbed of that matchup. You know, nice, Knees are terrible. Knees suck. Bad knees. But John, John Jones. John Cole Jones, fifth in this game for Connecticut Sun in terms of shooting possessions. So yeah. there has been a big feed JJ contingency. But, you know, with regards to AT and John Cole Jones, like it's just easier, even if you think John Cole Jones is a better player, which it's, it's very probably obvious that she is in some ways, but it's just easier for Alyssa Thomas to assert herself in a game than it is for John Quill Jones because John Quill Jones is a pick and pop player and a, a post up player playing with spore spacing and Alyssa Thomas can grab and go. She is, she does have the ball in her hand so much for creation in some ways, like because she's such a half court liability, it, it puts the ball in her hands so much more than you would probably want it to. And, you know, she's going to be the one kind of creating so much out of that. I think one thing, yes, I agree. Um, John Quill is a tremendous player. But what separates her from the elite of the elite, which would be Stewart, Wilson, Deladon, am I missing anybody? You know, in that in that upper tier. But they are the players who you build your system around. Whereas I, I see John Cole Jones in this series, and it's like, well, 
if you're not playing her next to Alyssa Thomas, then she'd be better. Or if you're not playing her next to Brianna Jones, she'd be better. Well, you need to get her more shots in order for her to make an impact in this game. You don't you don't say that about the elite players, you know, because they, they find a way to make an impact. They find a way to put their teams on their back. And she had a, a an amazing season last year. She had a very strong season this year. But you just don't ask those same questions about the upper, upper tier of players in the WNBA. So when, and when we're talking about optimization, uh, you know, John Cole Jones has gotten a lot better from when she first got in the league. But I do have to wonder if this, you know, it's, it's more complicated than just, we got to get JJ more shots. You got to feed, you got to feed the beast. I mean, how many of the shots that she got in the half court were good looks? Not I mean, many. Yeah, and you, you go back to game three, the, the game that this Connecticut team won. I mean, how many of those looks were created by Alyssa Thomas on just kind of an easy little lob where JJ got herself position or um, it, it was more of not a self-created look. She, she's not really uh, a, a self-creator, I would say. I mean, she had that one ISO kind of sidestep three on Kia Stokes, part of her like big late second quarter run to close the half and get this team back in it and... You know that was that was a monster stretch of of three minute play by Jonquil Jones, but she's she's just not the player that's going to kind of create in space the way that Asia Wilson does or the way that Brianna Stewart does. She's not the kind of three point bomber of Elena Deladon or like the mid post player of Elena Deladon. So, you know, she's a different player and, and a very good player, but I think she would just be better optimized as a counterpart to a really dynamic guard who you put a little bit more on the, of the offensive burden on. You know, something just occurred to me, replace Asia Wilson with John Cole Jones on the Las Vegas Aces, just hypothetically. I mean, she would, she would feast. She would thrive because that floor is spaced really, really well. You've got playmakers everywhere. It'd be much easier to just get her shots. Just feed her the basketball. Yeah. I, I don't think it would look quite the same as what Asia Wilson is doing again, because it's just like what she's able to do, as a face-up player, you know, catching it from the three-point line and kind of going with either hand. She's much more explosive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Asia is, you're saying. Yes, yes. Yeah. But yeah, she would she would be great, obviously. But we should talk about Asia Wilson, who did not have the best individual game in this one. But, I mean, Vegas is the reigning champs now. Asia Wilson is a huge part of that. She had a monster playoffs. I tweeted out the rough numbers that I kind of did before kind of getting all the official numbers posted by the league that... I mean, in the last two rounds, she's basically playing 39 minutes a game. Basically Uh-oh. the whole game, yeah. Yeah, you know, she... Full 40 today. Yep, she got a, a little bit of a an extended rest in game three because it was non-competitive. But other than that, you know, she's, she's been playing 40 minutes quite a few times in this series for a player with her offensive and defensive burden and, and what she was able to do. You know, she was... Chelsea Gray got... MVP and and the difference in the series I think was the the guard play in a lot of ways but Asia Wilson was the best player I think in in the series um in in many ways you think Wilson was better than Gray I mean so much of what Gray did was just hitting impossible shots but you think about the the impact on both ends of the floor I thought Asia had just a monster series defensively she was she was everywhere and you know what a defensive center is kind of asked to do when you're I mean they're Perimeter players are all mostly capable. You know, they don't play with any total saves. I, I know some people are not too high on Kelsey Plum defensively, but, you know, she she's just covers a ton of ground. Um, she picks up a ton. Of, you know, she put John Quo Jones in foul trouble. A big reason why John Quo Jones played under 30 minutes is because she That's got true. into foul trouble, and, and Asia Wilson was the reason for that, even though she only 
attempted, you know, six free throw attempts in this game, but those, what was that, late third quarter, a couple fouls that she picked up on John Quill, you know, maybe that's the difference in this game. That's a good point. And, and, and there were fouls like John Quill was clearly beat on both of those plays. Um, yeah, Wilson, maybe not the, the loudest game for her. 11 points, 4-13 from the field. 3-6 from the free throw line, uncharacteristic. But yeah. Zero 14. points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I thought if, if Raquana Williams did not hit those shots down the stretch and the Aces lost that game, there would be major discourse about why the Aces did not get Asia Wilson the basketball much in the fourth quarter. But uh, that did not happen, and the Aces won. But I digress. Yeah, she's a monster. Really asserting herself as arguably the best player in the league. I mean, I think her case now is, is stronger than it ever has been. And she was, I mean, she is the ulti- one of the ultimate players in terms of forcing other teams to make adjustments. She once again epitomizes the Aces' uh, dominance at the free throw line, both shooting fouls, uh, shooting foul shots and preventing opponents from shooting foul shots. You, you said it. She was the one who got John Cole Jones in foul trouble. That forced the Sun to make major adjustments. And if that didn't happen, maybe the Sun win this game. We don't, we don't know. So well-deserved regular season MVP. Really carried that dominance over to the playoffs. Maybe pretty much improved her play from the regular season to the playoffs. And if this is an off game for her, I mean, that's that's saying something. Yeah, I thought, you know, last series against Seattle was probably the most impressive playoff series of her career. She was maybe more dominant in that 2020 semifinals against Connecticut, but that Connecticut team was extremely flawed and Seattle, you know, they they had players that you would think would be able to do a decent job on Asia Wilson and and they weren't able to. And for the most part, that was true in this series as well, although definitely more so in the two games in Vegas than the two games in Connecticut. But Well, we we said entering the series, yeah, John Paul Jones is one of the few players who can defend Asia Wilson one-on-one and that was not really the case. Not (laughs) true. Yeah, not really the case for most of the series. Granted, the Aces play differently this year than they had in previous years, which I think helped open up Asia's uh, space to operate a little bit. But, I mean, you, you still got to finish the plays. And she was finishing plays all four games. Completely dominant. Not finishing plays all that well in this game. I, I think we should talk about Jackie Young a little bit, who, you know, had, I think, a, a pretty decent series overall. But you kind of saw some of the things that crept in from previous playoff shortcomings in Jackie's yeah. game in the last couple uh, games, I, I should say, you know, one from one for nine from the field today uh, in the first half, oh, for five from three in the first half, but still played, you know, all but 50 seconds, basically. So not deterring Becky Hammond from taking her out of the game at all. Like she she was going to kind of go down with her players and credit to her because Jackie Young played a lot better offensively in, in the second half and made some big buckets down towards the end and did have the eight assists as well. She was 0 for 6 total from three, and you know they were some very good looks. And good I, looks, yeah. I, I was kind of getting a little bit worried if, if this one was going to go to um, a fifth game, kind of if if she was getting in her own head a little bit from beyond the arc. It's possible. It's possible because it, it, it did seem like, and it's not just the, the looks that she was missing, it's the looks that she wasn't taking. She took 14 shots in this game, but throughout the series, and in, in the Seattle series a little bit as well, I almost feel as if, you know, this increased reliance on Gray maybe took away from Young's own game a little bit. If, you know, the the lower usage kind of got her off balance a little bit in terms of, you know, not shooting the ball when she when the, when it got kicked out to her or, you know, pump faking on the on the open three and, and taking the uh, the dribble two-pointer, which she did, she did make a couple clutch ones uh, in the fourth quarter, I believe, in this game. But you're right. I mean, she uh, really elevated her game this season and I would say definitely deserved that most improved player award. But... Yeah, I mean, you're, she's still the be- the third best perimeter 
creator on this team by a comfortable margin, right? Yeah, uh, and a lot of players would kill to have her probably as their you know second best premier player oh, yeah, because definitely. she's she's uh, a, a great player. But it was you know a, a little bit of a kind of tough tail end to the series for Jackie. You know, one thing I wanted to say about this is. I said, you know, Dewan Bonner can't guard everybody. Alyssa Thomas can't guard everybody. It was Jackie Young who they put Courtney Williams on. And she wasn't really able to, to punish that very often in the series, was she? No, I thought Courtney held up physically pretty well. And I, honestly, I thought there were times in this game where Jackie kind of got to her spot in, you know, the, you know, not deep in the paint, but kind of shallow in the paint. Yeah, where- like, like, like 10 feet out. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that kind of patent Jackie Young shot. And instead of kind of just rising up over her defender, like we saw her do so many times, she kind of pump faked and pivoted and then pivoted again and eventually passed out. I mean, that had to have happened, you know, two or three times in this game. And it was good defense from Courtney Williams, but I was still kind of surprised that Jackie Young, who had is basically a good defender beater, you know, she she just rises up over kind of good positional defense all the time. And because she can just kind of get her body into you, stop on a dime, rise up, is able to oftentimes get to the line from those. Uh, you know, I, I just felt like she left a couple of those on the table, I thought. She did. Uh, anything else we really want to talk about for this game before we kind of wrap things up for the Aces? Um, I mean, just that it was kind of a bummer that Dierka Hamby couldn't have been more involved. Uh, yeah, three in, minutes. In this postseason run. I mean, she... You know, she'll always be able to kind of have that game one where she was very, very much involved in them kind of what we said last week, kind of stealing that one. And, and D.R. Kahambi was a huge reason why. But for her to get that first half run and then not able to, you know, make an impact in the second half is just kind of a bummer, um, you know, because she's just, just been such a huge part of this team for so long. And yeah, she's obviously when when she's right is one of their five best players. But, you know, she just wasn't that player at this point. I'm wondering, I'm fairly sure in saying this, you know, I don't have any intel or read any reports of this, but is it safe to say that she was on a, on a minutes restriction here? Do you think that minutes restriction was four? No, no, no. I, I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like there was some trepidation. You know, there was a little bit of hesitancy in playing her. In, yeah, in, for in sure. Minutes, I think so. You know, um, like what, what I was getting at was, do you think the Aces go to this small lineup down the stretch that ended up winning them the game? if D.R.K. Hamby was fully healthy. Honestly, you know, I think maybe they do because we've talked before about how I don't really think D.R.K. Hamby is a great matchup for like a Alyssa Thomas' son team. Oh yeah, like, you, you saw that in the three minutes. Like they had Hamby on Thomas and she couldn't do anything with her on either end of the court. Yeah, and they were kind of ignoring her just like they would ignore Kia Stokes. You know, maybe if she was just kind of still shooting hot like she was in the very beginning of the season, you know, we see that player out on the court. But, you know, I just think with what this team was able to do with, shooting at all five positions, Hemby, I think, kind of cuts you off from that a little bit. So, you know, maybe maybe if Hemby is right, they just do go with kind of the, the players that they trust and, you know, go with their starting five for much of the season. But it wouldn't have really surprised me, and it would have been something I was serious, would be seriously considering, even if Hamby was available, to go with that super small lineup because, I again, I, I think it adds more than it kind of takes away, even against this extra tall and strong sun team fair enough fair enough uh should we kind of close the book on the las vegas aces here yeah absolutely i mean this was this was a great team i think the best team in the league that's the great thing about basketball yeah um professional basketball is you're you're going to more times than not get the very best team in the league as your champion and and i think we got that in this season here and and i think a lot of it has to do with Coach of the Year, Becky Hammond, you know, it's been 
well discussed, but it, it's worth mentioning again that, you know, kind of how she transformed this team's identity. We have been more complimentary of Bill Lambeer on this podcast than I think the general consensus of WNBA fans we have. has been. But Becky Hammond still improved this team with, with her modern style of, of basketball. She she brought in a more contemporary approach. Obviously, a big part of this was just playing their best players more minutes, um, but also schematically. I mean, the, the one that stands out, obviously, they shot a lot more threes than they did in previous seasons. They went from dead last in three-point attempt rate to third this season. They went from third highest frequency of long two-pointers attempted, which is 16 to 21 feet from the basket, down to ninth this season. So easy enough, take a couple steps back, shoot the more efficient shot, right? But what that does is, you know, it's, it opens up the floor for your best players. And when your best player is Asia Wilson, Asia Wilson in space is a problem. So if you can get that, that's, that's already one benefit. It's not just for individual player efficiency. It's what it's going to do for the rest of the team. And you look at this starting lineup, it was a machine. Every player, you know, maybe, you know, Kia Stokes was, was kind of lost in the shuffle there. But even she did some good things. But every player in that lineup complemented each other very well to me. I mean... They have the three best player, the three best, uh, or they have three very good perimeter players who can all create their own shot. We talked about this before, um, and that's not really luxury enjoyed by any other WNBA team. But the way Becky Hammond and her staff really just got the best out of them, you know, maybe it's a different discussion if somebody gets injured, or maybe it's it's a different discussion if uh, you know Jackie Young doesn't take the leap that she did this season. But as it stands, she pushed all the right buttons as far as who to play, who to play more minutes what their shot distribution is going to look like. Defensively, I think they actually underperformed for most of the season because their defensive shot profile was still pretty good. You know, it's not like they just forgot how to play defense. Opponents just made more shots against the Aces this season. But when it came down to it, I thought they played pretty darn good defense in the finals. Yeah, I mean, we can just go up and down core, and Becky Hammond pretty much got a career year or a near career year out of every you know, out of all of their kind of big four, like it was the best season of Asia Wilson's career. It was easily the best season of Jackie Young's career. It was the best season of Kelsey Plum's career. It was Chelsea Gray's best season in probably a half decade, if not the best season of her career. All of that was uh, allowed to, to kind of play so well because of the increase in spacing. And it obviously wasn't just the increase in spacing, but it's not just that they, you know, they shoot more threes, but everybody is kind of, behind the arc and that allows Chelsea Gray to get to the rim at the highest rate that she's gotten in in a long time. I mean, for, I mean, basically three years of this podcast, Eric, we were talking about how Chelsea Gray's numbers were just going in the wrong direction. She was getting to the rim less. She was getting to the free throw line less. She was, her efficiency was dipping. She was relying so much on, you know, those non-paint twos that she hit at a 73% clip in this series, but she wasn't hitting them at a 73%. As long as you do that, no, who needs a three? But yeah. yeah, but even still, she got to the rim very effectively when she needed to in this series and, and over the course of this season. Asia Wilson was allowed to play in a style that I think fits her strengths a little bit more. I think Connecticut wins this series against this same roster but the Bill Lambeer version, you know, where they they win the series. I mean, Bill Lambeer was trying to basically play Connecticut's on basketball, like for 19, 20 and, and 21, you know, that that's kind of what they were built to do. Sort of everything is kind of in the 15 feet closest to the hoop, you know, and, and I think Connecticut's just built a little bit more towards that. If Vegas doesn't score an extra 
12 points from the three-point line today, you know, maybe they are, we're going back to, to Vegas. Positive Residual had a great tweet kind of outlying their completely transformed shot diet where it was basically all the worst shots that you can take in the league last year. As, as you mentioned, all the, the shots from 18 or from, from 16 to 21 feet just inside the arc. You know, it's just a more modern game and a, a more mathematically friendly game. And the other thing is that, that they just kind of empowered their really great guard players to, to play to their strengths. Kelsey Plum has a shot diet, not just in terms of like, you know, how far away from the hoop, you know, she shoots X amount of her shots from three, but, you know, she takes the step back threes that so few WNBA players take. You know, she has yeah. dribble pull-up threes that not a lot of guards are either able or allowed to take within their offense. So just allowing your players to kind of play freely and, you know, they have these two high-level point guards plus Jackie Young, a player who basically played point guard her rookie year, can also pass, dribble, shoot. You know, they they just have dynamic options in the backcourt. And honestly, I think that's what wins championships in this league. Um, as I've said probably way too many times on this this podcast, like offense wins championships in the WNBA. And if you can make yourself an unstoppable offense, which this team was, that's what we've seen. Uh, you know, basically dating back to, 2016 besides your sky last year eric every wmba champion was either the best offense in the league or you know a fraction of a point within the best offense of the league that that is kind of how you actually elevate yourself to be you know a title contender uh, as much as people like to say defense win championships you can be kind of a middling defense sure at least in the regular season as we've seen you know three of the last four years uh and still win a championship if you are just completely unstoppable offensively and the aces were completely unstoppable offensively very well said very well said i don't really have much to add to that uh other than reinforcing your point yeah i mean maybe they got a little bit worse on defense but they got a heck of a lot better on offense and it was conducive to playoff basketball we saw last year we saw in 2020 you know aces really strong regular seasons they got to where they got to in the playoffs and they ran into just more modern and arguably more talented, but more modern styles of basketball. But and, I don't think you could call even the 2021 Phoenix Mercury a more talented team than last year's Aces. They just, well, I, yeah, perhaps they just had a hot shoot. They just had a hot shooting series, and th- that series could have gone either way, as, as we've mentioned several times already. And you know, the last minutes of that last game were pretty tense. But you know, I, I guess what I was what I was trying to say was, you know, Becky Hammond she did bring this this roster into the quote-unquote modern era and you know what i'm what i'm interested to see now is what happens next season in terms of does this change anything around the league like who's playing copycat now because you've mentioned several times in in previous episodes all the best teams want to play five out that's not really what the aces did this year i mean they played what four out one in with with wilson at the end yeah you can do that when you have asia wilson sure but how is what is modern going to look like we know what modern looks like now it looks like becky hammond's aces uh, or James Wade, Chicago Sky, or whatever. What's modern going to look like in another five years? What's modern going to look like in 2032 in comparison to this year? Are more teams going to play this way? It's The WNBA is still such a, uh, a relatively young league. It's like, oh, this is revolutionary stuff. Becky Hammond's bringing over all this uh, modern basketball with, with floor spacing and all that great stuff that you've seen for how many years in the NBA now? You know, I hate to compare the NBA to the WNBA, but just in terms of how long each league has been around 
what you think of as the the dominant style of play is it is not consistent across both leagues, right? So I guess you know what I'm saying is who is anybody going to be playing copycat? Do they have the talent to play copycat? Because not every team has Asia Wilson, not every team has Chelsea Gray, unfortunately. But yeah, you know who's gonna who's gonna look at this? Who's gonna make the adjustments? Who's gonna see what the Aces did this year and said, "Wow, this is revolutionary stuff." How can we emulate that, or how can we beat that? And the other thing is, I mean, it sounds like there were some deeper seated issues with regards to that. But you know, Walt Hopkins tried to do this with the Liberty and did not last very long. Yeah. You know, he tried yeah. to kind of embrace shoot a ton of threes. You know, you you don't. Obviously, he didn't have like an Asia Wilson to get to the free throw line and kind of play a more balanced offensive attack. But he. He was sort of the bad extreme of this philosophy in terms of the results, and it, it only lasted a couple of years, obviously, with a not very talented roster, I would say. But, but I mean, this Aces team, they, they just have the rarest thing, I think, in the WNBA, which is guards who can reliably score efficiently on the drive, get to the rim and score efficiently at the rim, and they have two of them. Like, that is an exceedingly rare player in this league especially one who can also you know score from all three levels you know it's not just getting to the basket a lot of players can can get to the basket you know jordan canada can get to the basket but she's not being guarded when she she doesn't have the ball and there right. are, i think you know a dozen or half dozen or so players in that kind of archetype but to be able to not just shoot a three or not just drive or not just be able to pass but to kind of be a, a completely well-rounded offensive guard it's really hard to find and this team has two of them and i think that's what sort of made them special all year um is just being able to kind of get that high level offensive initiator on the floor for the entirety of the game all the time oh because again who is the defense going to guard you know you don't have three elite perimeter defenders on every team but you've got three i'm not going to say elite but pretty darn good offensive guards on the aces but but also just look at this game like how how immediately did the kind of floor spacing and the offensive rhythm tank when, you know, a, a player that I think we are both kind of coming around on in Dijanae Carrington subbed into the game for Natisha Heideman, who's not even really a player that kind of fits that archetype, but at least can kind of dribble and, and pass and do some she's of got those one of the, She's got like one, one and a half, maybe two of those skills that you really want in a guard. Sure. Yeah, but if you, are, if you are not able to just kind of go the full 40 minutes of reliable offensive creation... You know, those couple minutes can can really kill you in a game, and Vegas just never has to worry about that with the score. Because you're, you're not making the defense do anything. You know, you're not breaking that shell. You're not making the defense rotate or bend or whatever basketball term you want to throw out there. And that's why, you know, the Sun just once again came up short because so much of that offense is predicated on efforting harder, you know, more offensive rebounds, more free throws. And it really is amazing that it came down to these two teams because they are night and day in terms of what their floor spacing looks like in the half court. Connecticut, it's floor shrinkage, really. And how many times, and compared to the Aces, who in the half court for Connecticut is, and man, I hate to use this term, but who's making making everyone else better in the half court? I don't think they have that player. And the Aces have multiple players who do that, make everyone else better. Of course, you can say, well, you make everyone else better just by being good at basketball. I don't think it's that simple, at least not in this not in this instance. But, I mean, you said it, having two, sometimes three perimeter players who can all dribble, they can all pass, they can all shoot. I mean, it's interesting to look at the, um, the front court players and the bigs. They're the ones who typically put up the really big numbers in this league or, or most, of the, most of the 
big statistical seasons come from bigs. But when it comes down to who's winning games, it's who has the best perimeter play. I mean, that that's what happened this season. So it should be interesting to see how, how teams try to emulate this because I think there is a point there. It's you, The defense can't take anything away from this Aces team because someone else is just going to beat you. Like I said, okay, you can put your, your best perimeter defender on Kelsey Plum and your second best perimeter defender on Chelsea Gray. Okay, but you're putting your third best perimeter defender on Jackie Young. Granted, that didn't really manifest well for the Aces in, in the, much of this series, but you, you get what I'm saying. The defense just can't let up against this team. Yeah, you can try to do weird things like not play against, not play Kia Stokes for the shot or, or anything, but the Aces perimeter players are still so good at attacking closeouts at dribbling and passing and shooting, it still makes it a pretty risky proposition, even against the most active and disciplined defenses. And the Sun, I think, are a very good defensive team, but the Aces are just that much better on offense to where they can beat you if you just make a minor error. And that's ultimately what happened. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we'll talk to you soon enough. Just a few words. Uh, thank you for supporting, really. Stephen and I uh, were talking a few days ago, and he brought up, can you believe it's been three years already since we've started this podcast? We're not three, three WNBA seasons. This is the conclusion of our third WNBA season doing this podcast. And that is, that's wild to me. You know, I mean, uh, we like to make self-deprecating jokes all the time. You know, thank you to our dozen listeners for listening to our lousy podcast. Uh, but it really has become a, a part of our lives. And it's really cool to know that people willingly listen for an hour plus every week or every other week to hear us talk about basketball. And whenever we get, you know, good feedback or, or a nice review, it's, it's very humbling. It's I still can't believe it, but it is what it is. And, you know, thank you. You know, we don't do this for money. We do it for, for the enjoyment and every bit of feedback and every review and every interaction, really, just motivates us to keep going. So um, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you for sticking by us. We have some off-season content ready to go, or not ready to go, but on the docket that will be ready to go. I think we're really looking forward to it. So, uh, again, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, until next time, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon.